0: Yeah, let's watch a movie, guys. Taking Jeff Goldblum to Life Aquatic. Willem Dafoe to Aquaman. Nicole Kidman to Dead Calm. Sam Neill Hunt for Red Aqua. Oct- James Earl Jones to the swashbuckler. Finally, Robert Shaw, Jaws. Just when you thought it was safe to say that you thought it was safe to go back in the water, Tom, Josh, Dan dive into six films anchored by six different actors, swimming us all the way to the summer blockbuster, That Bird. Summer blockbusters. Jaws. Six films, six actors, six weeks, three guys, one podcast. The fire pivot. It's going to be a jaws dropping summer trip. The most brilliant commander in the Soviet Navy. The most deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington.
1: Nobody would know a thing about it until it was all over. His plan is a mystery. Apparently, he has suffered a kind of nervous breakdown in which he announced his intention to fire his missiles on the United States. We sail into history. I'm gonna blow him right to Mars. He's defecting. You willing to
0: bet your life on that? I'll give you three days to prove your theory correct. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I'm expendable. From the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. From the director of Die Hard. Give this man a chance. Battle stations. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill. The Hunt for Red October.
1: Is oh, we need need to come up with some more scripts like that ourselves. Dead calm in space, let's write it. I think they already did that. Well, no, let's do it again. I think it was called Alien,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but that was a better film.
1: (laughs) That's that's so true, isn't it, Tom? (laughs) Yes, it is. Not as good looking as uh, as uh, Billy Zane, though. Well, I don't know.
2: not as good-looking as Billy Zane, but the sequel does have a young Michael Bean, and he's pretty that's, hot. He's that's... pretty good-looking.
0: This is true. I mean, but on that note, gentlemen, I'd like to start the evening off with a poem. Oh, God. You know, yes, yes, if
2: really enjoy listening to it. Yeah,
1: i definitely use that, Tom. <laughs> Power of
2: Editing.
1: <clears throat> In
0: Sweet Montana... Where I watch my sea of grain dare kiss horizon's lips, And dust tumbles through the last golden beam of the sun That leisurely dips between the brims of white of a roaming cloud, A diver from an ivory peak. My thoughts sail far beyond this oak so proud, From this home my dreams once did seek, To a deck set not on a ground so still, To waves may not of amber grain. It's said that fickle is the soul of will. But steadfast does my heart remain. March brings with it the mists of gray. Lush green with April comes over. But though the sky of my May is blue, I still hunt for red October.
1: That was easily... The corniest damn thing I have ever heard in my entire life.
2: It was so pretentious. Should have sent a better poet.
1: You know what? Forgive me for wanting to bring
0: a little class to this podcast, you know?
2: You know, Josh, I've always wondered what it would be like to attend a college poetry reading or one of those bad poetry readings at bars. Now I wish I didn't.
1: Yes, to uh, quote Nicole Kidman and Katie Holmes, never has something so short wasted so much of my time.
2: I get it because they were both married to Tom Cruise. They're short. Yeah, uh, they're short. Like Tom Cruise is, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I get the joke. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh,
1: Funny. Yeah. All right, you, you just calm down. Calm down. You know, we're messing with you, Tom. I'm sure your poem would have received an amicable B minus in whatever freshman creative writing class that you signed up
2: for. Yes. We're very proud that you finally got to put those four years of college to good use. So proud of you. Four years, really paid off.
0: And no stranger to sarcasm. And I'll have you know that it was five years. Thank you very much. (laughs) Oh,
1: yeah, um, hello, bots and listeners. Uh, Welcome back to the fire pit. I'm Josh, British name Reginald. And let me be the first in a long line of apologies for (laughs) Tom. Um, Let's put that painful experience behind us. Uh, as, we you. Continue, <laughs> as we continue getting sauced, as sauced as ever, uh, during the Sink or Swim summer tour. We have officially passed the halfway point of this adventure, and tonight, we're going fishing. Hunting. Hunting! We're going hunting. And as per our roles, we've taken an actor or actress from our last film and followed them here, here being tonight. So, uh, to explain this much better than I ever could... And to tell us who and what we get the luxury of watching tonight, Dan, I pass it to you.
2: (laughs) Five years. (laughs) Anyways, uh, thank you, Josh. Yes, yes, yes. I'm Dan, British name Nigel, and last week we followed Nicole Kidman from Aquaman and watched Dead Calm. Or did we experience dead calm? Either way, it was a riveting edge of your seat thriller in which we all rooted for the dog to die, the bad guy (laughs) to win, and the credits to roll. (laughs) Seriously, groundbreaking film. Anyways, the most heartbreaking thing, though, for me personally in that movie was seeing a great actor like Sam Neill be completely wasted. Well, we don't have to worry about that tonight, guys, because tonight, this is one of his best films. Tonight, we are watching Sam Neill try and see Montana and find his wife and the recreational vehicle in 1990's The Hunt for Red October. And to give us a rundown on the film, I turn to the resident poet himself, Tom.
0: Thank you, Nigel.
2: I am Tom,
0: British name Thompson, and tonight we're going on a Somewhere. Okay, <laughs> shut up. As noted, we're watching The Hunt for Red October, a seminal late Cold War classic based on the Tom Clancy novel of the same name. It's the story of a Soviet captain played by Sean Connery in a very convincing Russian uh, who has been tasked <laughs> to take command of their latest nuclear submarine. The Hunt, <clears throat> The Red October, not The Hunt for Red October. Yeah, they're, they're, hunting for, yeah, they're,
2: they're hunting for the Red October in the movie, Tom.
0: Yeah, so that would it's
2: be... Just in the title. If you, if you get confused, look at the title.
1: <laughs> Shut up. Hey, don't look at me. I, for the longest time, I thought the movie was The Hunt for The Red October. I always thought so, too.
0: I mean, it's one of those... It, I don't know. But anyways, like I said, um, but this... Red October is no ordinary submarine, for it has the super awesome cloaking device that lets it fire its weapons without dropping from cloak, and they use it to... Oh, wait. That's Star Trek 6, the undiscovered country.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back on topic.
0: Yep, yep. Yep, yep. But this one does have a uh, sort of submarine cloaking device that lets (laughs) it get past sonar undetected. Russian prototype at their mission is to run drills off the coast of the U.S. Rushnik... That's Russian, I'm sure. Very proud Russian. Uh, But uh, it turns out his his intentions aren't so patriotic. He actually may have intentions of defecting and turning it over to the U.S. as a show of peace between their two tense nations. For one nation should not have all this power, and this much political intrigue, as neither side can truly trust the other as they try to find common ground for peace and understanding, and I'm thinking of undiscovered country again. A lot of parallels between these. However, uh, the U.S. thinks that it's possible he's gone full General Ripper and plans on nuking the United States. So they take it upon themselves to hunt him down, but Jack Ryan played by one Alec The Shadow Baldwin is the only one who's sure he's legit and has to find a way to get to the captain first and clear his name before the Federation president is assassinated.
2: Undiscovered country again.
0: Inadvertently start World War III. I really want to watch that movie now. (laughs) Now that we have the summary, now for the details. This film was directed by John McTierman, uh, who did one or two things, Die Hard predator rollerball who can forget rollerball oh my
2: god roll he did rollerball that is a classic
1: yeah the a 2000s classic. rollerball i mean Ooh. can't get better than oh. that we got oh. to get in that in our, uh, our our lineup oh
2: you thought oh. dead you thought dead calm was exciting oh man wait to get to rollerball
1: don't spoil it my dude don't spoil
0: now, this was released in march 2nd 1990 about six years after the book was written, oh, number one, it's opening weekend, uh, budget of $30 million, box office of $200.5 million, uh, with $122 million of that domestic. Wow. So, yeah, he it it made its money back, guys.
2: It's I didn't a, realize it was that big of a hit. I know, That's right? 1990s
0: this, money, too. yeah. Um, it did 78 million international, which is almost unheard of now, you know, domestic doing better. But yeah, that's, I don't know the math, but that's, that's a big one right there. Uh, and you can't blame it. I mean, had it starred guys like Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn. Uh, I think he plays an American naval captain in yeah. this, but we yeah. was at Right Stuff. Uh, James Earl Jones, Sam Neill, who was our connector. Um, and the guy who had diplomatic immunity from Lethal Weapon 2.
2: Yes, yes. Diplomatic immunity guy is in the movie. He's yep. the Russian. He's the Russian that tells the Americans that uh, uh, Sean Connery's captain is uh, a rogue.
0: Yes, and also the guy with no dick from Ghostbusters. I think, <laughs> I think he's in this too.
2: I'm not sure, but maybe.
0: Hmm. Uh, no, I'm, honestly, this this film didn't. I mean, it wasn't like. Dead Calm's opening weekend, I looked it up. And uh, yeah, Driving Miss Daisy, Hard to Kill, and Born on the 4th of July were out in Madhouse. But aside, it did not have the heavy, heavy hitters that um, Dead Calm had to deal with. So. Uh, but, but
2: aren't Born on the 4th of July and Driving Miss Daisy Oscar-winning films, though?
0: They are. They are. But when you talk about... but. Driving Miss Daisy had been out for a couple weeks at this point. It was
2: oh,
1: okay. Oscar yeah. winning doesn't necessarily mean box office draw. No, no, I don't mean.
2: Yeah. I don't, I didn't mean to to say that they were box office draws, but I know that like Driving Miss Daisy and Born on the Fourth of July are considered classics. You know, yeah. they're considered. Nobody's good denying movie. that. Yeah.
0: Oh no, definitely not. But you have this tense political thriller, and then you have an old woman being driven by God. <laughs> I mean, what are you really gonna see? Mm.
2: Um, yeah no I, I i totally agree and hard to kill i believe that was one of steven seagal's first movies what's it really yeah oh wow it's, it's one of his early ones
0: uh, but also notably this is the first film in the jack ryan series uh though the only one to star alec baldwin the others would star one indiana han han solo or harrison ford damn it
2: <laughs> it's okay they're the same guy
0: <laughs> uh bat flick ben affleck uh new kirk chris pine and jim from the office who currently plays him on amazon so he got that dunder mifflin raise
1: and though so yeah that's um third film incidentally of the we... i, I, oh, I would ahead. like to see a uh version of uh jack ryan done in the style of the office
2: <laughs> that would be hilarious <laughs> it's just the CIA, but the office. Also, what before that- we get to the rest of Tom's trivia, I did want to make note to all of our gamer fans out there who like all of the different Tom Clancy video games like Rainbow Six and Ghost Recon and all those games, <laughs> um, Splinter Cell, you, thank can thank, you. you can thank this movie. For that, because of the uh, it made the Tom Clancy universe a big deal. I
0: forgot all about that. How many how many games are there now in that? Because I think there are more of those, and there are Tom Clancy books.
1: Yeah, well, remember, uh, Sam Fisher from Splinter Cell, he was the was it Xbox? I forget what console that was. I think it was the Xbox's answer to Metal Gear or to Solid Snake. It and, was, yeah. And uh, the first game was the only one I've really ever played, but they had like eight games in that series before I gave up on it. But no, I remember that game was awesome. Cause I think, yeah, it was Xbox. I think that was Xbox, but I remember Sam Fisher being – there was this one scene particularly – sorry to tangent here, guys – but uh, <laughs> in your the tutorial phase where it's like you're supposed to walk through this room without the guys in the box hearing you, and then you walk all the way through it. If you do it right, you walk all the way through it, and then you get to the very end, and they're like, okay, uh, Sam, if you want to get started. Oh, shit, you're already done. <laughs> I remember just being like, that's right, bitch. I can play a video game. <laughs> but it's one of those instances that made you feel like you were actually good at what the guy was portraying on screen. Kind of right. like in the original uh, TIE Fighter games, whenever I was honored at the end of it, I uh, actually stood up. and Saluted? <laughs> so yes, like- I did. I did. I, I stood up. When they were presenting me, my on-screen character, the medal, I, I was that proud of myself.
2: So glad you made the Emperor proud.
1: I did, I did. Hashtag the Empire did nothing wrong. <laughs> Except, you know, blow up a planet. But anywho, there's there's millions of planets. Fake news. <laughs> Fake <laughs> but that's my notes right there, aside from the
0: fact that this, we watched, uh, this is a third film of a row based on a literary character, and then the second film in a row based on a novel, and I think also the fourth one, that's got, no wait, this one's got, yeah, this one's got a seven ranking,
1: if I'm not mistaken. Eight. this one's the eight. No, this, remember, we determined last week, that all six movies average out to a 7 out of 10 rating. Yes. Because the first three movies were all 7 out of 10s. This is the <laughs> highest rated movie in the uh, Sink or Swim Summer Tour. But next week we're going to have a 6 out of 10 and then the week after that, Jaws is amazingly enough a 7 out of 10. So they all average out to 7. So, you know, we made the joke about the seven seas. Grown please <laughs> now, gentlemen, because that's a terrible uh, joke.
2: Drone, it groan. was, it was. But, you know, it's it's kind of like our Pathfinder joke. It's just now becoming a thing <laughs> and we can't, really, <laughs> we can't really stop it anymore. Better men than us have tried
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> but i'm really looking forward to this film one it's been a crappy day so i really want something to cleanse my palate and nothing cleanses it better than sam neill doing his best russian accent and sean connery doing no accent at all it's gonna be fantastic <laughs> you know <I'm-
1: laughs> Scottish Russian uh, submarine captain. born for the role.
2: Apparently, he does that in all of his films. He refuses to learn the accent of whoever he's playing because, like, he's supposed to be a damn Egyptian in Highlander. He still speaks in he speaks in a better Scottish accent. No, he's a
1: Mexican. His last name's Ramirez.
2: No, he's Egyptian. In in the Highlander, he's Egyptian, and he's training Connor McLeod, who's played by French-born Christopher Lambert, and he's doing a better. He's obviously doing a better Scottish accent than Christopher. Lambert is because he's supposed to be Scottish, but yeah. but Sean Connery's supposed to be Egyptian. Apparently he was like that. He's just like, I'm not doing a different accent. It doesn't matter. My accent doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is my performance. And to Sean Connery's credit, he's I mean, his success speaks for itself. So
1: He's yeah. one of the few who could pull that
2: off. Yeah. Like,
1: I, thought, I swear to God he was Spanish or something. because Isn't his last name Ramirez, though? His last
2: name's Ramirez, but he's supposed to be Egyptian.
1: Is he? It's yeah. been so long yeah. since so I've seen that movie. So yeah, we make I, just, I remembered English. his last name.
0: <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Although they did, I, one of the things I did look up, they were going to do, like, have them speak Russian the whole way. Yeah, this isn't going to work, guys. We'll just, uh, we'll cut it off. We'll just have them to speak english because no, yeah, apparently,
2: no. Uh, apparently it was bogging down the russian scenes yeah so.
1: that would be tedious they could have done yeah. it how they did the, the amazing film action-packed battlefield earth
2: yeah there's a reason why that one is on the worst of list and this movie is typically on with one of the best of lists <laughs> so i'm just saying there's 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 a reason
1: Yes, there is no comparison. I'm just going to stop right there because I don't want anybody insinuating that I actually think Battlefield Earth is a better film. It's (laughs) not. For the no, record, it's not. Uh, but, uh, oh, go ahead, Nigel, you were well, saying? I was
2: say, one of your, I, I liked one of the notes that I saw that you put on there, Tom, was that one of the first choices to portray Jack Ryan was Kevin Costner, and he turned down the film to go and star and direct and Dances with Wolves. That's probably the first time I've ever read that an actor or an actress turned down a role to go do a different movie, and it ended up being just as successful as the movie they turned down. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, yeah. Most you know, most of the time it's like, oh, he turned down an opportunity to be in this movie because he went to go do role.
0: Whoops. This one's like oh, well okay, that's that's fair. I mean Will Smith turned down the role of Neo to go be in Wild Wild West. Now see again, that's okay, second example of a film that you just look at, yeah, that was the right choice in the long run. Yeah. You know,
1: ultimately, yeah, but wasn't Christopher Walken originally uh, the choice to play Luke Skywalker?
2: It's, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know about that. I just, I just know that.
1: I want to say I've read that from, I know I'm more of the Star Wars fan than you two. Yeah. That's, that's... For, I for our fans, right <laughs> I guess now we can say fans, plural. I am the uh, odd man out of our trio. Uh, I, I'm the Wars, Star Wars fan over Star Trek. I, I appreciate and love them both. But I was always, like, at my root, I'm a Star Wars fan, and whereas Tom and Dan are literally the ying to my yang, or ying to my ying, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> They're huge Star Trek fans. Yeah. But, you know, again, we all appreciate the other, so. Yeah, yeah like... but
0: we're okay with Josh being
1: wrong, because we're good friends like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, we don't
1: care yeah your creator died before he could ruin your series
2: <laughs> aren't you guys a little jealous now
0: <laughs> no 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 bergman and brennan all of those have been doing just fine stepping all over his legacy they're doing their best and the, last by God. Jedi.
1: the last jedi all i'm gonna say i win this argument by default i just say those three words i win
2: this is this is true but before we piss off all the Star Wars fans in the comments
1: um, because
2: because uh,
1: so anywho, back on topic, <laughs> we're on a good movie tonight, guys. we need to talk about the movie, yes, I've Speaking again, of excited. which Thompson, I want to start with you what are, like how long has it been since you've seen this movie, and what are you hoping to get out of it?
0: Oh, shoot, I honestly can't remember the last I think it was legitimately on hbo the last time i know danielle friend of ours uh she this was her go-to movie through college and such um i've not seen this since i was 12 i'd like to think and i loved it then because again I was a big Trekkie, and Trekkies and naval fanboys kind of overlap a bit, so sub-on-sub combat was all my jam, and for me, I want to see the intrigue. I made cracks about Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country having similarities to this, but Star Trek VI is the best of the Star Trek movies, fight me. Because it borrows so heavily from the political intrigue of the Jack Ryan verse, the Tom Clancy's. And I want to really get a feel for, as an adult, the appreciation for this post, well, early, late, late Cold War political thrill. Although, it's to be noted, this film was made right at the end of the Cold War. They disbanded the Communist Party. And um, it was like, well, shit, let's just say it happened before this happened.
1: Wasn't that like 91 or 92? 1990. Was it? Yeah. You know, I'm not the history buff of the group, so.
2: The um, Berlin Wall came down in 91 or 92, but the Communist Party was expelled from the Soviet Parliament or whatever right in 1990.
0: Yeah, so it's like, well, shit. Um, well, let's just have this movie anyways, guys. Communism's still a threat. Boom. Let's have it. So that's my take. Uh, Nigel, what about you, my
2: dude? Well, I, I have seen this movie a lot, but I haven't actually watched it in a while, so I'm um, I have recently watched, speaking of Jim from The Office on Amazon, I've recently watched the new Jack Ryan series, and I know that they've shifted the character in the universe to be not Cold War anymore. It's now post-9-11. So it takes place in, quote-unquote, our time right now, where with, with terrorism being the main threats and um all that stuff instead of Russia. So I but I think what I'm mostly looking forward to is I wanna I want to see it go back to the roots of the Jack Ryan series of the Tom Clancy universe. You know, when he wrote the stories, when it did take place when Russia was the main bad guy. And 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 I'm also looking forward to seeing the Tom Clancy's take on spies, you know, we're mostly movie fans familiar with spies are familiar with James Bond. <laughs> Speaking of which Sean Connery's in this movie, but um, they're used to the James Bond style with the fast women and exotic locales and fancy suits and all that stuff. Whereas like, this is more subdued, a lot more subdued of a yeah, spy film.
0: Uh, yeah. Cause isn't Jack Ryan in this just like, an analyst he's a yeah
2: that's That's what his job is in the cia he's a cia analyst you know he's he's not technically a field operative but he always gets dragged into the field in almost all the stories but i I think i'm just mostly looking forward to seeing a more subdued spy film it's got a really great cast so i'm looking forward to seeing these performances again i was like i said i think everyone in this movie is very well cast and they all play off each other really really well so, I'd have to say that's what I'm looking forward to the most, is just revisiting uh, an old friend, so to speak, because I haven't seen this movie in a while. Very
1: nice. And, Reginald, your turn. I'm, like, in a similar boat as you, Thompson. Like, uh, it's probably been 20 years or more since I've seen this movie. Like, I remember bits and pieces of it, thinking back, but then again, I also remember, I'm worried if, thinking I might be getting memories crossed or something, like, I'm thinking of other movies, but... So I'm really anxious to watch watch it again, mostly because it's like, I don't know what I remember. And I remember enjoying the movie, but I couldn't tell you the overall plot except, you know, basic stuff that it's a Russian sub that wants to defect or something. Mm. You know, I love Sean Conner. I love most of the people in this movie as far as actors and stuff. But uh, yeah, I really I'm just hoping to get a good I guess, like you said, revisiting an old friend. I think that's the same for me. I'm in the same boat as you on this one, Thompson. Although I do find it interesting. Jack Ryan has kind of become Americans' James Bond.
2: Yeah, especially with the, amount of the fact that he's been in a bunch of different movies, played by different actors. The only difference is that they haven't made a James Bond TV show. They have made a Jack Ryan show. Yeah, yeah I guess there you was could a, say a that. James
1: Bond Jr. cartoon on TV for a cartoon. That doesn't of count. God, that, that doesn't was so count. One, hang
2: his nephew. Why is he a junior? And he, I'm not going to go on that tangent. I am not. No. (laughs) It's not canon. I'm just going to say that.
0: (laughs) No, I agree. It's like he straddles the line between uh, Jason Bourne and Bond. He's not this action hardcore parkour, but he's not suave, sophisticated trope maker. He's just, I'm, I just, he's as if any of us IT guys got thrown into an action sequence like yeah. I'm, I'm not even supposed to be here today i'm just here to get this guy's hotmail working why am i fighting the russians yeah what's going on
2: also outside of a couple of the movies in the current tv show jack ryan's always portrayed as a family man too he's got a wife and kids or a wife and a daughter or, or a kid or something like that So he's always portrayed as a family man, which is the exact opposite of James Bond. He's always portrayed as basically married to the job.
1: Well, you know us in America, we got to be different from our British counterparts. (laughs) We love our families in America. Fuck yeah.
0: (laughs) So all three of us have seen this, and we all have some pretty... Good memories, good, ex- we have a basic idea of what we're getting into, so we're kind of giving a, let's say, a positive look going into this, but I just yep. wanted to take a glimpse, glimpse here at some of the reviews, play a little game called 1 through 10. Uh, kind uh, of I got gotcha.
1: you, I see what you're doing. But yeah, so yeah, yeah we're all, so. But we are all going into this with positive expectations. So that is an interesting note. But yes. uh, so this week's game that we're playing, Thompson, um, uh, you well, did you get some good reviews this time? Because I know last time we, it was very ad libbed. <laughs> well, those reviews. I wasn't expecting
0: it to be a game. I was just saying this is what some of the people said here, and uh, I only had like three of them. Um, I'm still only going to pick three out of the couple I picked. But it's one through ten now. And not just one from the one group, one from the ten group. And I'll let you all guess uh, which one it fits in. Honestly, it's hard to find a quote-unquote funny one because even the the low reviews were pretty um, nice to this film. I, I guess that's testimony how good it is. Even people that hate it are like, eh, it just kind of sucked. So I will start off... From a uh, Mr. Fusion 18. They say, As Cold War thrillers go, the hunt for Red October is probably as Hollywood as they come. Then again, this is a movie that stars Sean Connery as a Soviet, so who's coming to this for accuracy?
1: I would have to say Gut Instinct. He gave it a 7 out of 10. Nigel? 6 out of 10.
0: Josh is closest. That's an 8 out of 10. Ah. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Another one. This one is from... Here 6, H-Y-Y-R 6, they say, I so regretted seeing this film that it was not until 1996 I dared to visit another theater.
2: Jesus. <laughs> I don't have to say he loved it. It's a 9 out of 10.
1: <laughs> Reginald, I almost, I, I want to say the joke answer would be he, he broke the scale and gave it an 11 out of 10. But if I was to give it a realistic answer, I would say he gave it a 1 out of 10.
0: You're your closest again two out of ten
1: nice all wow right. so it kept him from going to the theater for six years but it got a two out of ten i don't want <laughs> to know what kind of movie that man considers a one <laughs>
0: <laughs> like i said man even the low reviews were still kind of kind to it all right what's um what's another one i wanted to pick here okay this one's from let platypus Lay platypus, excuse me. I can't stand Baldwin or Skarsgård. I find that Neil has never been so tight-ass than here. As in the novel, I find that it's stupid that a desk man can guess all the plot and that this best Soviet silent submarine is not that much against American witty. Yeah, I know, the grammar and punctuation
1: on this is all over the place. It hurt me while you were reading it. I physically hurt while you were reading it.
2: Um, I'm going to say this guy gave it a 3 out of 10.
1: I'm going to go with a 4 out of 10. You're both wrong.
0: This is the 10-star review. Wait, what? Are you fucking serious?
2: Yes. (laughs) So wait a second. He hates the plot. He hates the characters. He hates the actors. But the movie's a solid 10?
0: It's a solid 10. And it should be noted, this film had no one-star reviews. The lowest it got was two-star reviews.
1: You know, I read something a while back that uh, IMDb, that they actually will take certain films and basically bump all of their one-star reviews up to a two or something to that effect, that there was an analysis of all of their reviews, and certain films don't have any one-star reviews because they bumped them all up to two.
0: Ah, uh, so maybe the two stars were one stars after all.
1: Could be, could be. Yeah.
0: yeah, So, but those are three of the couple I grabbed there, and those are the ones that stood out. So for those listening, uh, maybe you're one of those low-star reviewers that it's just not your jam. But for
1: us, we're... We're here whether we like it or not, which yes. I think we're going to like it tonight.
0: I think we're actually one of the 8-star reviews, considering 10-star was... Damn.
1: Yeah, we're here through the thick and the thin, through the Pathfinders and the Deadcoms.
0: And the Dooms and all the middling ones between.
2: But Although, on, like I said, Pathfinder did help us find our path to our podcast. On you, know, I, you know,
0: you're out. You're out. No, I said it at the last podcast. You're done.
1: You're out. Damn it. The path was found with the Pathfinder. You're out, too. Get hey, shut up! You gave you gave poetry for the intro tonight, <laughs> and it was
0: excellent. Thank really you very much. So is there anything else we wanted to touch base on, guys? Any anything else we missed? Wanted to discuss before we sink into this film? Yeah, because I don't, don't want to
2: spoil too much.
0: Yeah, let's let's go hunting. Let's hunt
2: it, boys. Tom, start. The no, song. I do. Damn it, Tom! <laughs> <laughs> Dan, say the thing.
0: Oh, there's a. There's a thing.
2: Play the music. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Music is playing. Fantastic.
1: That is not the interior of a Russian sub. It'd be a lot more, you know, red. You know, not everything Russian is red. How can you call this the Red October when everything is just, like, gray and silver? I'm
2: pretty sure it's named after the communist takeover of the country. It's like the American Navy naming a ship the Independence.
0: Yeah, it's an ironic name, Josh.
2: Or actually, it'd be like the American Navy naming a ship the 4th of July.
0: Yeah, or the Red... No, I'm not giving him any more color stuff. (laughs) Welcome back to another thrilling episode of The Fire Pit. I am, as always, your interspersal host, editor, and so darn man, Tom. Boom! Yep, looks like we're in range for another amazing movie. And so far, it has been and continues to be a splash for our Sink or Swim Summer Tour, this hunt for Red October. Not the hunt, we qualified that. Earlier, we are at the halfway buoy and are rounding our way to the shore of Jaws. Uh, there have been some metaphorical sharks along the way on this tour, but so far, and thus far, uh, they've been pretty calm waters. Uh, we haven't had too many complaints, and hopefully if you decide to go back and listen to some of these movies we've watched, or watched some of these movies we've listened to, or both, you've... Determine for yourself what we've had to go through and what we've got to enjoy. Anyways, no official paying commercials still, uh, but here's a trickle of what you could expect if you wanted to give us some money to show your products.
1: I have half a Papadia, or whatever the fuck you call those things, from last night that I didn't finish.
0: Papadia?
1: It's their answer to a Pazone, you know, 20 years after the Pazone. Oh, any good? Not really. I mean, they are amazing. Papa John's Pizza provides the best high-quality ingredients and best pizza overall. There, no, there is no other uh, delivery fast food pizza like Papa John's. And their new Papadias are amazing. Now give us money.
0: <laughs> if you want to throw money at us to shield your product or just give us a good word, you can email us at Inc at gmail.com that's curtain call entertainment I-N-C, at gmail.com just put into the subject line whether it's a question comment recommendation correction or just a conversation and we'll open it touch it with our eyes hide it away and forget that it ever exists we don't have object permanence emails don't exist Again, that's Curtin, call Entertainment Inc. at gmail.com, capital C, capital C, capital E, capital I, at gmail.com. Well, I'm getting word from the com that it's time to submerge. Hopefully you've been enjoying yourselves in this tour, because we have minorship plus Plus Warner 2 movies. But thank you for listening, and as always, good luck. <music>
1: So what did you do to prepare for the role? Well, I uh, I grew my hair out just a little bit. And I definitely shaved my beard just a tad around the chin. Did you do any voice work or any other kind of preparation? What? <laughs> God, that was just like the perfect ending. Yeah. Yes, it was. Like, like, it doesn't need any further exposition or closure. We got all the closure we needed. That was just a perfect ending.
2: It also didn't yeah. have a sequel hook. I know they make sequels to this movie, but it doesn't have a sequel hook. It doesn't like this story is wrapped up and contained. And we can
0: end, we can end the movie right here. We can stop this at this credit scene. Cause we know there's not going to be anything afterwards.
1: Yeah, there is no hook. Although There's that'd no... be hilarious if there was one. I'd Samuel like to talk to you about the submarine initiative. That's bad, and you should feel bad. <laughs> I do. I do. I couldn't think of anything better. I physically hurt now.
0: <laughs> Josh, since you had the summary section last time, Nigel, do you want to tell the audience what we just watched? Yeah, I'll do that.
1: Uh, we just haven't seen it
2: (laughs) yeah we just watched the hunt for red october classic cold war film one of the last cold war films filmed in real time Uh, The movie opens with Connery's character taking command of a new submarine and putting it out to sea, and then it kind of uh, transitions to introducing us to Jack Ryan, going back to America to go meet with James Earl Jones' character and talk about how British, yeah yeah, he was in London, because British intelligence looked at the satellite photos from this red October, or this new submarine, and they... Couldn't figure out what a a certain thing on the sub was. So Jack wanted to speak to a specific specialist. And then it goes back to the Red October. It shows a um, party tattletale, party watchdog. (laughs) And he talks to Connery for a little bit, and then uh, Connery kills him. and Makes it look like an accident. And then um, he has full command of the sub now, because I guess the, uh, the 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 Russian guy, the party guy, had the other key that they could use to arm the missiles and all that stuff. So the movie makes it look like at first that Connery is a bad guy, and and he's moving. Toward, especially when the um, later on it goes to, back to Alec Baldwin's character, uh, Jack Ryan, and he's talking to the specialist, and the specialist says this might be this new experimental drive that we've been hearing about called a caterpillar drive which would allow a sub to be completely silent in the water. Modern technology wouldn't be able to pick it up on sonar. A sub like this could launch its missiles right off the American coast and we couldn't do a thing about it but hope and pray. So it, the movie at first makes it look like Mar- Sean Connery's captain, Marco Ramius, is sailing to America to launch a preemptive nuclear strike but um, he he says in the, the next scene, I'm taking the submarine to the Americans and I'm going to defect. The meat of the plot goes from there. He's trying to defect. The Americans uh, they don't know he's trying to defect. At first the Americans think that yes, he's on his way to America to either launch missile or do bad things, the Soviets find out he's going to defect. So the Soviets are like, no, we need to blow him out of the water. And the Soviets then tell the Americans that he's a rogue and he's a madman. So the Americans inadvertently want to try to blow him out of the water. But Ryan is steadfast and like, no, no, no. He wants to defect. I have to see if he can get him to defect. So a couple people in the American government, uh, James Earl Jones's character and a couple others are like, hey, do you think he's going to defect? You have three days to find him. If you don't find him on the fourth day, we're going to blow him out of the water. That's where the tension for the movie movie comes is is Ryan's up against the clock to find Ramius, find the Red October, figure out if he's going to defect and before either the Soviets or the Americans blow up the ship. There you go. Hilarity ensues.
0: And how do things go, by the way, Nigel? Does, does it all end happily ever after? Do we get to see Montana?
2: Well, they get to see Montana, but Sam Neill's character does not get to see Montana, which is unfortunate because he was one of the more likable characters in the whole film. But I guess that's the mark of a good movie is it takes one of the more likable characters and kills him or her. But yeah, this the movie does end on a, a positive note. Ramius does defect. The Americans get the Red October the the Russians lose their advantage in the cold war but yes tragically Sam Neill's character is killed in the last 20 minutes of the movie when they're doing the climax
0: and a few Russians also die just nameless Russians on another boat but that's fine they don't count
2: <laughs> yeah they they don't they don't count because they're bad guy russians whereas Ramius's characters were all good guy russians
0: and that's another thing that's kind of surprised me not a lot of dying in this film he only had one person died, which was Sam Neill's character, but no Americans. I thought that was... Oh, never mind. There was that one pilot on the um, the aircraft carrier. So. Oh, well, yeah, had... but he
1: was... That was through, you know, and not an air uh, combat air death.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But there was really, what, two deaths. They got uh, Jack Ryan killed the cook, and um, the cook killed the uh, paleontologist. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Post movie thoughts, gentlemen. Are does it still hold up? Do we, are we still ah, uh, are we still feeling good about this film after watching it?
2: Uh, Josh, I'm gonna let you go first tonight since I went first on Dead Calm. Cool, 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 cool. Tweet, cool, tweet, tw- nice noise.
1: Um, <laughs> this is a I dare I say classically good movie. Yeah, I really can't say classically because you know there's definitely older movies than this that have different notes of being of quality. Okay, well, good in terms of its realism. How it's you know, this is in the era of establishing tropes, but it does, it's not obvious about those tropes,
0: yeah, yeah. And that's another thing I wanted to maybe touch upon too. Just it cared to get it right, it didn't just say, Let's do it because it's cool or anything like that. Like, this is a submarine. We follow submarine rules. We follow Navy rules. These are how both sides operate. We're not going to have, like in Battleship, where you have a World War II class battleship that Tokyo drifts, or it's a Tom Hanks movie that takes place in World War II, and it looked good until I saw shots of doing bullshit that World War II ships cannot do at all. This one's like, yeah, this is how it works. This is how...
1: You just need to get Dominic Toretto behind the rudder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I uh, gotta say, this is definitely so far... I don't know if I... Do I want to call this the high point in the Sink or Swim summer tour? Because, uh, I don't know, I really liked Aquatic Life. Yeah, I enjoyed Aquaman. But I definitely wouldn't put that above this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's kind of a toss-up between this one and Aquatic Life. Uh, But those are like... I guess kind of apples to oranges. I mean, if I had to rank the movies, I'm not going to do that right now because we could be on here for a while because I could play the merits of either. But okay. uh, no, I really did enjoy this movie. And it's been so long since I've seen the movie. It was like watching it again for the first time. Like I remember parts of the movie, but I didn't remember the plot. Like when we first started this, I couldn't tell you that it was uh, about Sean Connery wanting to defect. That knowledge was back stored in the back of my head. And as I was watching the movie, I remembered that. But uh, I'd have to say that, uh, dare I say it, that this is kind of a breath of fresh air. I I mentioned it during the movie when I watched the movie Hunter Killer with Gerard Butler. Mm -hmm. That is crap. (laughs) It is a more modern submarine movie. And it's a modern submarine movie that obviously has grown from the leavings of this movie. Rather mutated from the leavings of this movie. And I don't mean leavings as in what was left behind. I mean what this one shat out.
0: (laughs) I'm getting a pretty visual here.
1: But no, I think one thing that I absolutely loved about this movie in particular was the tactical use of the captains. Their tactical prowess. Like, I I thoroughly enjoyed that one scene where, towards the end of the movie, Sean Connery basically had them face the torpedo head-on and just increase speed. And basically rammed the uh, torpedo. Everybody was against him, but Jack Ryan, you know, trusted him because he trusted him as a uh, captain. So he's like, okay, he's playing something here. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm going to go ahead and trust him because us as the viewer, we'd already seen his strategic prowess earlier on in the film, especially when they was avoiding the torpedo the first time. It reminds me of, I can't think of the general's name, but it was from the Wheel of Time series who did uh, like really epic acts when he was fighting the invading army. And it was one of those situations where it reminded me of that, where you can only do it once. Even after the torpedo burst in pieces on the sub, Sean Connery even said it's like he's now army- or removing the safeguards from his missiles. He was that knowledgeable about his friend, you know? <laughs> And that, I just love that level of strategic combat. You don't see that a lot anymore. You saw it a little bit with Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, when they were fighting in the Nebula. Yeah. And I'm um, trying to think of another movie that might have something strategic. But it feels like more modern movies, like they don't give you the time to watch them think. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of this was just literally watching Sean Connery sitting there and stare at a dial. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that what it was, right? Half the time you're just sitting there looking at Sean Connery, look like he needs to take a dump. <laughs> because uh
0: concerning the scene his character probably does
1: yeah and while well, everybody around him is letting their bowels open but uh <laughs> I, I say that jokingly but i mean it's like you don't see that a lot anymore it's like he modern movies feel like they would just straight up tell you what he's gonna do we're gonna hit the missile before it has a chance to blow up it's like oh okay well mm-hmm. tension fled from that scene i just lost my boner
0: and to add to your point, too, the that both captains, the Americans, the Soviet enemy captains, all, everyone was portrayed competently, too, right? There was no, yeah. like, he was super genius and everyone was made an oh, idiot yeah. to make him see better. Oh, yeah.
1: That was another aspect. It's like, it's very rare. I mean, I think The Martian is a movie that does that very well, a more modern movie that does that well, where everybody is hyper-competent, like, not hyper-competent, but competent in their jobs. You know, nobody's a single Mary Sue. You had the one sonar technician who was really good at his job but they didn't show he was competent anywhere else. The captains were very authoritarian, authority figures um, and very strategic. They showed that very well, but they weren't great at anything else. At least they didn't portray that. It's like they let them be as good as they needed to be. But uh, I, I like how they portrayed that. I imagine one of you guys is gonna touch on uh, Alec Baldwin's acting in that one scene at the very beginning with CIA director. Oh yeah,
0: I'm, I'm gonna be touching on Alec Baldwin a lot during my discussion. Tom, I said picture. it. I said it out
2: loud. I know where it sounded. I meant it.
1: Yep, he's touching Alec Baldwin. Of course, just... who wouldn't want to touch on 1990s Alec Baldwin?
2: Yeah, just be careful. He's got a bit of a temper.
1: He does. <laughs> he does. Just don't marry him and, you know, <laughs> his babies. Yeah. We might have problems with that, Tom.
0: I promise uh, not to commit to Alec Baldwin. Just
1: okay. going to okay.
0: touch on him a little bit.
1: I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I don't know how many times I say the word thoroughly, but I definitely thoroughly, thoroughly... <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed this movie. So, as far as my closing thoughts go, I think that's about it. Um, I'll happily cut either one of you off if I remember something else. Certainly, and Nigel, if you don't mind me. Uh... And I remembered something. I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually don't. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's good. But, what were you, uh, you going to say, Tom? I say, um,
0: if you don't mind, since we're talking about me, you know, touching on Alec Baldwin, if you don't mind me uh, stepping in here.
1: Be my uh... guest.
0: Thank you. Fill him
1: up. Check that inseam, Tommen. Tom. Yep. Thomas. Thompson. <laughs> Thoroughly.
2: <laughs> if you go into Skype, Tom, and right-click Josh, you can mute him.
1: You might need to. And I'm not drinking. <laughs> That's the worst part about this. I am not drunk. Nor have I had any alcohol.
2: <laughs> this is this is Josh Stone Cold Sober. It's the worst thing. This is God, why I, I drink. <laughs> god
0: damn it i lost my thought okay okay no from i love this film too no this was great it's i love that i haven't seen this since i was a kid uh the political everything on this i and the tension of the scenes i mentioned a bit ago nothing was wasted in anything and the way everyone carried themselves the actors this is a hard thing about political thrillers, especially when you have people who are supposed to be hyper-competent at their jobs, focused, everything else, and you're dealing with an audience you don't want to treat like an idiot. They have to be able to say one thing while conveying another meaning. We noted this in the earlier parts when we were introduced to uh, Alec Baldwin's character. He is this very competent CIA analyst when he was talking with his boss uh, Darth Vader they, the, the small talk about family and such he was clearly just kind of eh, eh, but as soon as the topic went to submarines and spy he was like he was sprawled on that couch like well Lord Vader well let me tell you about caterpillar drives it was great and some of the scenes You noted that majority of the tension was just staring at Sean Connery's face as he tried not to shit himself. And you could get that. He was telling people, like, just do this. I'm controlling myself. But you could see the tiny twitches, like when they were trying to dodge that torpedo and it was doing the whole thing like where they cut at the last minute before they hit the underwater mountain i don't know what you call those in submarine terms underwater it's like you see and it's like there was a little twitch but that tiny twitch lets you know he's concerned this is a big deal and other moments too when they were working on their plan like Sam Neill's character and Sean Connery's character, their voices were very serious, but their expressions, the way they exchanged looks, and this is a testimony to Sam Neill and why he was so wasted in Dead Calm. You could tell everything was going as planned. They were on the same page. It was so good to be not beat over the head and treated like an idiot and have a character say, I feel tense at this moment. This is a very tense moment. I wish directors and writers cared and thought that the audience was smart enough to get it. (laughs) Nigel, I turn it over to you.
2: Well, I'm going to go on a little bit of what you were saying, Tom. It's the character work in this movie that makes it so good because it uses very minimal special effects. And most of the movie takes place on either the bridge of the Red October... Or on the bridge of the Dallas, uh, the the other submarine that's trying to find it. There's not a lot of like exotic locales. There's no. There's very little in the way of like special effects or really elaborate sets. Uh, you know, this movie just does great stuff with character. And you were mentioning the scene where he has like just a a moment with um, Sam Neill's character, where he's like relay our position to our target, one ping only, and he goes, well, Captain, we've already done that. And he goes, just give me one ping, and he looks at him in such a way that Sam Neil's like, oh, I see what he's trying to do, but he doesn't tell you what he's trying to do. He told Sam Neil silently what he was trying to do, and the audience is still able to pick up on that. That yes. if that movie was made today, he would have said, relay our position to target one ping only, and Sam Neil's character would have said, well, we've already done that, and he would have said, yes, I know, but I'm trying to let the Americans know that we're doing that. I agree with them. Like he would have come right out and said that's what he's trying to do. And,
0: or or obviously winks like one ping only
2: wink. Yeah, yeah. So I love that part. But what I really want to touch on in this movie is just how the tense scenes feel tense without telling the audience this is tense. You should, they should definitely feel the tension in this scene. Just the little ways they, the, the way the camera moves on a character's face, the way they're just relaying their orders, and the way that they're all so good at their jobs. I think Josh mentioned on the hyper competency, which is actually how the Navy is supposed to operate yeah, we I mean Star Trek has made tropes of it, but that's kind of how they operate you you are doing your job, you're doing your job, you're doing your job, and the captain is there to relay everything all that together and you follow the captain's orders. I also loved how all the crews Every single one of them they showed, the Dallas crew, the Red October crew, and the other Russian crew were all very competent at their job. Even the bad guy, quote-unquote bad guy Russian captain, was shown to be very good at his job. He just wasn't – he was a little more arrogant. But Mm -hmm. if the the Dallas hadn't been there, if the American sub hadn't been there, he would have sunk the Red October. And and even in that final 20 minutes – when um the first torpedo goes into the or is in the water and Ramius orders the Red October to turn into the torpedo so he can hit it before it arms itself that's a moment to show that Ramius is awesome but then like as soon as the other torpedoes come in and he gives the con to the American captain and shows the Dallas crew take one of the torpedoes and make it track them so now it shows the Dallas crew gets to be badass in that scene. And then they show the American captain, Mancuso gets to be a badass at the end of the scene. Like, everyone gets a moment without it being so obvious that now they're they're tag-teaming. Like, now this is your time. Now this is your time. Now this is your time. It's just, it's just a moment where each character gets to be awesome. And I love yeah. it. And it, it really added to that whole last, like, 20 minutes just a really good buildup to the climax of the movie. And I loved it. And I haven't seen this movie in its entirety in several years. And I forgot how good it was. I, I know I keep repeating myself with um, the character work in this movie, but that's honestly, that's that's what separates the good movies from the mediocre movies from the bad movies, the character work. Actually, this is a good contrast into last week's movie. Last week's movie didn't have enough character work. They only had three characters in that movie. The only time you saw more than three people on screen in that movie was in the opening of the hospital or when first at the, at the, the train station when Sam Neill's character gets off the train and then when he's at the hospital when they tell him his, his wife's been in a car accident. Those are the only times in last week's movie you saw more than three people on the screen at one point in time and yet they couldn't do anything with those three characters. This one had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight main characters to write for. And then all of them got a good moment of being like, oh, wow, yeah, that's great. You cared about the characters. You understood their motivations. You understood their reasonings. And Tom said it earlier, this is why Sam Neill was wasted in that last film because he's a good actor. He's really good in this movie.
0: Reginald, any additional thoughts? Because, yeah, that hits all my notes and then some.
1: Yeah, um, I I was going to... God damn it, I had a thought again and I lost it.
0: (laughs) Um, For me also, just to add that the practical i got it that, oh you got something now yes i remembered
1: i remembered what i was gonna say i was gonna say uh i loved the fact that there wasn't any major ooh and awe ah moment when dallas figured out that they were trailing a phantom russian sub it was just kind of like oh okay well we got this
0: would you say it was understated
1: almost like it wasn't a uh major point
0: like you know? haha, jumping up in the in the seats like or anything like that yeah huh, i follow that God damn, this was such a good film.
2: It was. It's just, this is the kind of crap that separates good movies from mediocre movies from bad movies. I wouldn't say Dead Calm was a bad movie. It was just mediocre. Parts of it were bad. Like, it's just three characters with nothing to do and not really caring about any of them. Hmm. And honestly, once the dog died, I was kind of out of the film because I'm like, whatever, I don't care anymore. Yeah, we got what
0: we wanted. The dog's (laughs) dead now.
2: Yeah. But this film is like, it just. All the characters are great. They're all written wonderfully. I thought that some of the best scenes in the whole movie didn't even involve the main cast. It was when uh, that um Secretary of Defense or D- it was talking with the Russian ambassador or Russian um uh, defense minister or whatever he was. He was supposed to be the diplomatic immunity guy from Lethal Weapon. The Swing
1: yeah. and Dick's moment. Yeah.
2: I thought those were some of the best scenes in the film. Like just how well those two played off each other you know why because they're good actors and they were given good direction and good writing
1: you you think about it this is a movie that is designed or not designed it's not designed it's uh, i want to say it was showcased as a epic submarine underwater battle movie but in reality it's a very character dialogue driven plot we even pointed out the special effects aren't over the top and hell half of the scenes is you know there's the joke about the next generation star trek that every other scene is just galaxy class ship next to an excelsior class ship around a randomly colored planet mm-hmm. this is even less detailed than that you've <laughs> got black orb next to black orb in bluish black area <laughs> yeah and that's the extent of the special effects are in this movie if you think about it the way they're trying to portray it in like the trailers and how people will think of the movie this is as an epic underwater thing but because this is like one of the first Tom Clancy movies wasn't it It's the first. The first, It's the
2: first Tom Clancy book that was made into a movie.
1: Yeah, so people didn't really know what to expect going into this, but it hinges on the characters to move the plot forward because giant tube of steel A is not going to do much in terms of plot movement.
0: And there's no major, it's it's not World War III is about to happen. I mean, the the Russians tell them, oh, they're going to try to nuke you guys, but worst case scenario, they sink the ship a Russian captain dies. There's no, like, we have the secret thing that's going to, I don't know, solve cold fusion or whatever. It's just, if he loses, we feel bad for him, but politics and the world go on.
2: Yeah, once we know that Sean Connery is not gonna blow up the world, the, the stakes aren't as high as the characters think they are. It's
0: hinting on a misunderstanding and the tension of, you want this character to succeed, But the world is literally against him right now.
1: Yeah, like I said, I just really like that. You know, I just had a realization, too. The plot device in this movie isn't some failure or somebody screwing up. It's literally a guy wanting to go to another country. I'm generalizing this way too terribly, but (laughs) it's like the plot device typically is, oh no, everything could be solved at this point in the movie, but Johnson fucked it up. So now we have to progress the plot.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I do like about this movie is that even though most Cold War movies make the Russians purely antagonistic, in this movie, the Russians aren't so much antagonistic. They're just the opposite of America or they're on opposing side of America, but they're not. So much antagonistic. You kind of understand why Russia doesn't want him. to give their brand new technology to the United States. Just like if you flip the script and it's an American captain taking experimental technology to the Russians, you kind of would understand why the United States wouldn't want him to do that. I mean, I totally would understand why the Russians would be like, we can't let this guy take this stuff. We'll lose our advantage in the Cold War. Just -hmm. like America wouldn't want an American's captain or somebody going to Russia with brand new satellite technology or missile technology or something like that. They never come out in this movie and say the Russians want the Red October back because they made it to blow up America. They're the antagonists of the movie, but they're not the bad guys. Yeah, no one's twiddling their hands and going Whoa ha 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 It's, yeah.
0: it's politics.
1: Yeah, or, or laughing behind a pillar of fire, right? Like it was yeah. in, uh, the right stuff.
2: Yeah, and they even say that the opening of the film was their orders were to go off onto the American coast and run missile drills and basically show the Americans, we can do this whenever we want. It's basically like a... It's yeah, it yeah. was Sputnik. It was definitely it was a dick-waving thing. It was like, we're, ours is bigger, what are you going to do about it?
0: Which again, if it was the American mm-hmm. side, we were listening to this, everyone would have you know, stood up in their seats and just like, and I'm proud to be an
2: American! <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, it's just the Russians are antagonistic in this movie, but they're not bad guys. You kind of understand their motivations of mm-hmm. why they don't want Ramius to defect
0: now do we have any nitpicks because we're pretty proud of this film i got special effects special effects
1: (laughs) but then again that's there's an asterisk next to this special effects is my nitpick my that's me critiquing a movie that is 30 years old me in 2020 critiquing the special effects of this movie that was made in 1990 or released in 1990 it's one of those things it's like Yeah, I'm nitpicking that, but at the same time, I understand why it is as it is.
2: I would say the special effects in Aquaman were better than the special effects of this movie. But I dogged on the bad special effects in Aquaman because that movie is supposed to be a special effects extravaganza. You're supposed to be using your special effects to keep me in the story, keep me in the moment to... Allow me to have some escapism and just absorb myself into the story. And when I see your crappy PlayStation Two graphics in your throne room, it takes me right out of the story. This movie's not supposed to be a special effects extravaganza. So right. if the the special effects were a little shoddy, you know, especially like when they showed a lot of the underwater scenes with the torpedoes, definitely looked like they're right out of the PlayStation One. But then you're like, it's not supposed to, like, it didn't suck me out of the story. <laughs>
1: like in Aquaman, we sat there and had to. Uh stare at this abomination of his uh underwater armor for like a good five minutes. This one we had to look at the bad special effects for maybe a second and a half.
2: Yeah, and, and... it wasn't it wasn't long enough to draw me out of the film because they don't focus on them too much. It just it was one of those things it's like it wasn't advertised as such. Um I'm trying to think if I have any nitpicks of the film.
0: If you allow me to kind of edge because I do have one or two Okay, so yeah, go ahead. You go I'll, ahead I I'll, can't I'll, think pick, of any. I'll just pick one. It did bother me that, for a film that had such competent characters, um, the captains were—they were authoritarian but reasonable on all sides—that there was always that one guy on the Russian ships that kept bitching at the captain and saying, no. "You're gonna get us killed. You're gonna, you're gonna destroy this ship or whatever." Which spoiler alert. Um, yeah, one of them was right. <laughs> it's you wouldn't have that at least i don't think you would that took me out it's like dude you listen to your goddamn captain you can't just call him out like that while torpedoes are being shot at you and shit's about to blow up because you're destroying confidence in everyone do your goddamn job and then tell the captain dude that was a little crazy after you're done don't do mm-hmm. that. That's one nitpick I'll focus on.
2: I, I think that's a fair one. That's that's one of those. It's not probably not realistic in how naval operations actually operate. That was probably just, you know, tension for the sake of tension. And that definitely sounds like, it almost looks like something you'd see in Star Trek with someone on the bridge questioning the captain's orders. And... Or trying to
0: punch out the captain and take control. Cough, cough, burn him, cough. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but I I hate stay on topic. Stay on, stay on topic. Stay on topic. (laughs) But yeah, I I can. I think that's a fair nitpick. I guess if I was judging it with today's lenses, I would say the movie's a definite sausage fest. (laughs) There's really no women in this movie. Oh my god!
1: Yeah, there really isn't.
2: The only time you see any women really is at the beginning of the movie when um, Ryan's getting on the plane and he's saying goodbye to his wife, Mm. who's played by Doctor Crusher. So just like on The Next Generation, she wasn't given a whole lot to work with. But I know that it's, quote-unquote, a sausage fest of a film, and there are no real women in the movie. But this also is supposed to take place in 1990. There weren't a lot of women in prominent 84. roles. Yeah, 84. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. The movie takes place in 84. The movie was came out in 1990. So 1984, there wasn't a whole lot of women in prominent positions in the military. There, till this day, there's still not women on submarines.
1: That's actually false. They've been integrating women onto submarines for about 10 years now, but only on the— uh larger class submarines.
2: Also oh, the Ohio classes? Yeah. Okay, but but 1984 there was definitely no women on submarines. There's no women admirals were in charge of aircraft carriers and if this is 1984, not a whole lot of women in really high cabinet positions or no joint chiefs at all. So if that would be me nitpicking it and looking at what today's lens saying, you know, they don't have any women in charge of anything. OK, well, if that movie took place in 2004 or 2014, I'd say you'd have a nitpick, but it's 1984. So,
0: yeah. Although in real quick for anyone listening who knows about the Navy in the 1980s, especially submarines, were you allowed to smoke on those things? Because there's a lot of goddamn
1: smoking going on. Now, did I, they I smoke on or... uh, the American submarine? I don't think they smoked on
2: the American submarine. They do offer Jack Ryan a cigarette when he comes on board. They ask him, "They like, do you want a cup of coffee or a cigarette? And he says, coffee, please, I don't smoke.
0: Uh, okay, so, yeah, for anyone that knows, you can email us and say yes or no, because that's that's not a nitpick.
1: I just Or just comment on this podcast and call us a bunch of idiots. That's fine, too.
0: Yeah, We're, we're, we're literally... used to this
1: by now. Have you listened to these podcasts? Yes, we definitely <laughs> dog on everybody, except for me. Really don't dog on me that much, but I think it's because they're afraid of me. <laughs> Well, you are That's hosting. Silence it. that they are agreeing, right? Right. Wait, you, you do for have. Silence. To, is agreeing.
0: Did he, Did Josh mute us? Is that why we're quiet? <laughs> God damn it, Josh.
1: Are you hating on me? I will shut off your access to my Plex server, Tom. Respect <laughs> me, Thompson. It's better than me. You're hyper competent. This is why I had to get off last night.
0: You forget who has the power, Josh. <laughs> but no, so consensus is, I mean, we had to look for. Things wrong with this film to have anything wrong just so we'd have a balanced review. I'm loving this film. I'm glad we get to watch it because the next film is going to be another one where we don't know what we're getting into. And so far, our track record with those has been not good. So, um, who wants to tell the audience what we're watching? I got this one. Next.
1: <laughs> so, next week. You get to listen to us watch the 1976 epic box office bomb that is Swashbuckler, starring the guy who was in Jaws. God damn it. Right? What's his name, Tom? Quint. What's his um, name, Dan? I, I, I don't know. I don't, don't have Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> starring Robert Shaw, a.k.a. Jaws Guy 2. Great. <laughs>
0: But we're following uh, James Earl Jones to that yes, film, right?
1: James Earl Jones. We are watching, or following the voice of Darth Vader.
0: And a so, commanding voice, it was and is.
1: I was never here.
0: <laughs> Jedi mind trick. Wow. And also CIA. They both have that same spell. I say so you can find us on Podbean, of course, uh, firepit.podbean.com. Home to a lot of great, fantastic podcasts and us. You can find us, of course, on Spotify, Amazon, <clears throat> iTunes. Just look for The Fire Pit. We're the longest-running podcast with the title Fire Pit. So Actually,
1: well, we, I don't know if we are anymore. That one golf guy has quite a few. He is our, our nemesis. But the other Fire Pit podcast, which does not seem to have a point. I don't <laughs> know if I've never listened to it, but it just does. They, uh, I think they quit making their show like earlier this year.
0: We 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 got that going for us guys so far, and also almost we're getting to about twenty episodes, so I we're know. up to a we're coming up to a a, a round number here. This is uh, I'm excited about that.
2: As always, I'd like to give a shout out to our first and uh, so far only confirmed fan, Peggy, friend of the channel. Thank you very much for listening, um, and I would just like to say just make sure you join us uh, next week for Swashbuckle. Or is it Swashbuckler? What's the Swashbuckler. name? of Swashbuckler. Swashbuckler. Okay, so yeah, join us for Swashbuckler. It's God. I hope it's good because you are right, Tom. I just didn't realize that when we go into a movie blind, we come out wishing we still couldn't see.
1: <laughs> it's like the three of us are we, we. We all three watch enough movies that we we span quite quite a bit of the zeitgeist. It's like if we haven't seen a movie, that means that it's either probably really bad or something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Josh, do you have anything to add to the ending before we round it out?
1: Well, I would like to do a shout out to a potential listener. Um, I uh, actually haven't shared the uh, podcast info with him, but he already said today that he looks forward to listening to it. So uh, hi, Nick, preemptively.
0: Hi, Nick, potential Friend of the podcast. Um, also, yeah, hello to Peggy again, as Nigel already said. Uh, current and continuing friend of the podcast. How are they doing, by the way, Nigel? How how did things go with their? Uh, uh, they
2: they had their operation successfully recovered. They are currently at home recuperating. Uh, they'll be fine here in a couple weeks. So
0: congratulations. Uh, good for her. Yes. Yeah, cool. So Peggy, thank you um, for listening as always. And to- also
1: shout out to uh, Sync Lounge and uh, Plex.
0: Thank you, Josh. I was hoping you'd get to that. Well, I you
1: kind of cut me off. That's Sorry it. No plex that. for you.
0: <laughs> God damn it. Not again. Right, I'm you just can going make it to up to me. <laughs> that's where right. I'm just going to cut out Josh's audio. <laughs> but until next time, this has been the Fire Pit. I've been Tom. I've
1: been Josh. And I've been Dan. Yep. This has been a production of Curtain Call Entertainment LLC. I almost forgot what it was. <laughs> that's okay.
2: Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening.
0: Good luck everybody. You're still here? Do you think we're doing a post-credit scene? This is Hunt for Red October. No post-credits in Hunt for Red October. It's over. Go listen to a mackerel. Shoot. Come on, go.